Excellent. An ale for me. And for my officers. In fact, ales for everyone. Turn backward. With Rick and Rick and Will and Zemma. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hello, welcome to a new episode of Ten Backwards. Uh, I'm your host, Rick Everson. To one side of me is my fellow host, Gemma Turland. Hello. Further around the table is Will Turland. Hello. And then in the other direction is Rick Farmer. Bonjour. And we're joined by a guest for our discussion today. We've got Ross with us. Hi, Ross. Hello. How are you guys? We're good. How are you? Very good, very good. I, I don't know whether I'm left or right of you, though. I, I'm definitely uh, south. You're, I, you're directly, <laughs> yeah, you're directly in front of me. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> Feels like we have a, a living laptop. Yes, yeah, called Ross. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe later on we can argue with yeah. Ross and Steve will come out. And, <laughs> and <he'll say> <laughs> I feel like an 80s sidekick. <laughs> so you just, the effect, we'll have to draw a beard on the laptop. <laughs> Um, listeners may be familiar with Ross from his own podcast, Snap Trek, um, which is pretty excellent. I'm not even just buttering him up. I really love it. It's well better than this shit. I'm joking. It's mildly not, better than this. He's not joking. I can see in his eyes he means it. <laughs> I, I love your guys' podcast. I listen I listen every week. Oh, Aww. thanks. There you go. Um, Oh, this is a proper loving, in this yeah. except for what you said, hating our podcast. <laughs> so. uh, we we actually, in fact, blamed Ross on a previous episode for our subject. I think mm. We did pets, didn't we? Mm. We did, we did, because we'd made a joke when we were all in um, at Destination Star Trek. We'd made a joke about the the sort of most banal subject we could podcast on, and Ross said, "No, no, it's a good idea. Do it. I'd, I'd listen to that." It's highbrow, and I did listen to it, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, the, the, the pets of Star Trek. I don't think there was any you missed out. I was pretty. I thought it was a comprehensive pet list. Uh, there was that sort of yeah. weird twiggy thing that Alexander has. I, did, I don't know oh, if you yes. mentioned that. And then later on, I think Grand Nagus Zek has it as well. That little twiggy sort of puppet. Oh, the Corbin Gilvos or something oh, like that. I don't know. I just called it the weird twig. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's a good point. You know, I remember but, that. Yeah, um, it didn't crop up in my research. Well, uh, but there's, there's a hilarious scene near the end of the episode with, with Next Gen with Alexander, um, where there's been a fire, and so Worf and Riker have gone in. Worf's rescued Alexander. Is there with his son? So please, and there's Riker at the side, like gasping and all like sooty holding this like twig trying to look like <laughs> a particularly flammable animal made of wood I think Freaks really sells it it really looks like he saved a living other, other than that other than my <laughs> mission I was very pleased with the uh, the pet episode and I did not consider it banal I thought it was very very decent oh well, well <laughs> some kind words I'm crying you can't see I'm crying <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course we're we're not here to talk about pets tonight we're not uh we're going to talk about the best of both worlds oh. the next generation two-parter where the borg arrive in federation space um this is just one that i've definitely wanted to talk about for a long time i'm a massive fan of this story um so having rosson seemed a very good point to get talking about it mm. so um We'll kick things off. Um, this is a pretty big event. Uh, so I just thought I'd go around. Anyone got any distinct memories of watching this the first time? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, what? 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 <laughs> yeah, sorry, Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Well, my memories are just that it was the time when it, Star Trek Next Generation was on BBC Two. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a big, because it was a, because it was a massive cliffhanger in between parts one and two. I remember waiting around for part two to come around a long time and then it did. And then that was it for TNG for a while because it moved to another channel. Yeah. So in terms of my memories, I remember loving it, but I, I distinctly remember it makes me think of, of um, watching it on BBC two in my bedroom on a small TV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and really wanting it to come back and, mm. and find out what happened. Yeah. Is, your, is your memory of it soured by the fact that 
that after that BBC Two lost TNG for a while. I think you know I I, I was not really. I mean I it was just something that happened. I with with TV it, it just tended to be. I, I didn't think about it much beyond having four. I think it was four channels then. Can't yeah, really have four back then. Yeah. So you know I was dis- I was disappointed, yeah. but you know it wasn't like the internet was around. I just yeah. kind of, and I think not long, you know, not long after there were other TV shows that came around that I really liked, and it was only a few years later that there was yeah. the, the X Files and stuff like that. So, but I distinctly remember wanting to be able to watch Best of Both Worlds Part Two as soon as possible. Did not know that oh, yeah. leave the BBC had made a special arrangement; yeah. they could have Episode One of Series Four <laughs> before Sky like took the exclusive rights away for a long time. So, so yeah, I did not know that happened because I remember watching the best of both worlds on television, the first part, and then I don't, I don't recall watching it. I don't recall seeing what happened at the end. I presume that Picard was okay, uh, but I didn't realise that it's because there'd been <laughs> like a channel shift. I guess I was just so, so caught up with watching yeah. the Fresh Prince of Bel Air or whatever they replaced, whatever they replaced it with. <laughs> yeah. Well, what BBC Two put on in, in on the Wednesday at six o'clock in place mm. of Next Generation was original series. So oh, okay. my disappointment was tempered because this was now my chance to catch up on the original, which I hadn't seen prior to that. I'd got, I was I was new in for Next Gen, so uh, you know it, it. I could survive that rough patch by watching some classic uh, Trek. I thought, but uh, yeah, I think my overriding memory is. It literally haunted my dreams the, the week for the, of that cliffhanger, waiting for part two. I, I distinctly remember a, a dream of watching part two, and there was a weird storyline where um, the Enterprise had withdrawn straight back to Earth, and the crew were assembled at Starfleet headquarters watching like old footage of um, Kirk's Enterprise fighting a weird cube ship, and everyone going, oh, so Kirk's already fought the Borg. What can we learn from that? And then Picard stands up, and he's... He's, he's, he's in disguise as normal Picard, but he was still Locutus. And I think he actually killed Dr. Crusher in my dream. Oh, my goodness. I know. It was like, it was like seriously a <laughs> weird dream. I was like, that, that sounds like an incredible part, too. <laughs> they should have made that. That's good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they didn't. They would have killed Dr. Crusher. That's true. That's true. I mean, I remember, um, I remember finding this episode incredibly exciting. And I think... I think at this point, TNG was always, um, I guess it was always ent- entertaining and, and sort of thought provoking and really interesting. It wasn't necessarily always thrilling. Mm. Like not, ep- not every episode was, was completely gripping and kind of, you know, edge of your seat tension. I, I remember sort of getting to the end of Best of Both Worlds Part One and just thinking, oh my God, that, that was really exciting. Mm. That was an exciting episode. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek. That's like a movie almost for you know, when you compare to yeah how a lot of episodes would have one, two phaser shots shown on screen, quite a lot of off screen phaser shots if we got mm. as far as a battle. Most yeah. battles resolved by Picard speechifying. Not a bad thing. Always love a Picard speech. But in terms of what we got to see there, there was oh, there was loads of stuff going on. There's a Borg cutting beam. Yeah. We had two distinct space battles and a, a running firefight on the Borg ship mm. in the space of one 45-minute episode. Shields are being drained. 90%? 80. Trying to recalibrate nutation. Damn! Shields have failed. Final weapons. Even the slower moments, they clip along at a fair pace. You know, you have Riker's career introspection. But that doesn't slow the episode down. Yeah, I think so. It's always a it is a really exciting. Certainly, the first part is really exciting. Does not stop. Do you remember watching when you watched Q Who the first time? At the end of that, did you did you have expectations that we'd see the Borg again? Because I don't remember. Uh, to be honest, I don't do, really remember do watching Q Who. I, Q-Who, I don't. I don't remember. My my big memory of the Borg um, is best of work, both worlds. I, I don't remember whether I'd seen Q Who at that point or not. Actually, mm. about you, Gemma. I think no. I think my my memory of the Borg in is Q Who. Okay. TNG. Because I think yeah, just the just the the, the devastation of this this species that they they have no defence of, and I think mm. that stuck with me. 
I remember being terrified by Qihu. Who. Mm. I, 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 I can't honestly remember if I had an expectation of them of the Borg ever coming up again. However, um, back in back in those days, they had a Star Trek magazine that I would pick up when I could, which was um, maybe two or three interviews and reprint of the DC Comics run back in the eighties. Um, and I had a letters page, and on that, one of the editor's responses to a letter, because someone asked about the Borg. Um, was that at the end of series three, the Borg would be back and they'd take Picard and turn him into one of them. Which, looking back, I was like, I should have been furious. Yeah, it should have been a yeah. Just post the entire script. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I was just incredibly excited. And I think about the point that came out, we were maybe at halfway into series three. So I knew it was coming <clears> in the counting the weeks off by that point. I think what was happening is that that guy told them, that guy in that letter, but secretly, the plan, the story they were going to have was um, going back to Earth, and it turned out that Kirk had fought the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Picard isn't Picard; he's Lacutus, and he kills Doctor Crusher. And they're like, "But this is going to cost too much money. We're going to have to do this story that you told the person that we were going to do." <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> How about you, Ross? When you um, when you watched Q, who did you have expectations that you'd see the Borg again? I don't. I don't think I was thinking about, I don't think I was thinking so clearly about how TV worked or how things worked. My overriding memory of the Borg was that they were completely scary and they were so strange. The idea that there was no individuality, that they were all sort of on a mission. They had that sort of insectoid, like hive mind, but they were still completely, completely alien. It wasn't like a, a hive you understand. It's still there. They're drive. They're very villainous. They drive to get you, but they're also completely sort of abstract. They don't. They don't necessarily care about you. They don't hate you. They're just going to go through you and go over you. And I remember being quite sort of uh, impressed by how scary they were. Um, and my real memory of the Borg actually comes later with Iborg. I have really strong memories of watching Iborg and being interested in uh, what happens to Hugh and. You know, the, the whole idea of once he starts regaining his individuality, is it okay to uh, use him as sort of a weapon or a vector for a weapon? Um, but my memory of Best of Both Worlds is really the first mm. half. I have very limited memory of watching the second half. So maybe I missed it. So I probably only would have been 10 or 11 when it, when it was on. So perhaps I just just escaped me. I was out in the garden or something. <laughs> have you have you seen part two now god i hope so no i did i definitely i watched it in preparation for this episode and i had seen it and it was very good um i i very i very much enjoyed it what i thought was really clever was the whole idea where they'd written a story whereby the writers weren't sure whether picard was going to be coming back as a series regular for series four yeah they'd written a story whereby he could either return or not return and either way would work. And I would have been equally impressed to have watched both. I might have been disappointed if he hadn't returned. But they'd, they'd set up another character to replace him. Riker as the captain and Shelby as the second. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really clever. They've really had to put some thought into how we're we going to make this work. Uh, and I, that, that was really impressive, I thought. Yeah, because watching, watching part one, if you, if you weren't aware of that, the, the Riker subcut could, could seem a bit out of place for this story like you think well, why why are we putting energy into this mm. this story yeah. where we could have extra time for the the main story which is the book but actually i i really like the the whole riker mm. the, the riker story and the, his his kind of uh, its conflict with shelby i, I mm. think that adds something to the story as a as a sort of a, a b plot to the main story it works really mm. well and and yeah i mean it it, it, it works really, and it would have worked really well if, if Patrick Stewart hadn't come back I think, yeah. and Riker had gone on to be the captain. I think what's what's great about this one is that it's not necessarily obvious, but it's massively Riker's story. Yeah. It's mm. barter. I mean, when, when you get to first contact, <clears throat> the effect it has had on Picard is so evident. In fact, previous to that, you know, Iborg shows it's a lasting effect and even family. But this two-parter is massively, it's Riker's story all the way through. Um, Albeit with Picard sort of stealing some scenes because you know he's pretty superb as the whole Locutus thing, but uh, yeah, because you go back to his, his whole thing about command, having a command mm. or leaving a comfy position, and everything sort of considering there, and then being thrust into it, 
how the conflict shall be planned out with that. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely a Riker story. I always felt what what I really like about that that whole sort of um, that whole Riker story is that he. He sort of he sort of, he makes the the less adventurous decision in the end. A lot of the time, it's a TV trope that you you get um, characters kind of talked into making the more exciting. You know, you get a, a character who wants to play it safe and they want to stick where they are because they're happy where they are, and, and another character will say, "Oh, you've got to you've got to take it. You know, you only get one chance at life. Mm. You got to you got to take life by the balls <laughs> and, and live every day as it comes. Never let go. Yeah." <laughs> Take a chance. I mean, this is this is a story where where Riker's kind of like, you know what? I'm I'm happy here. Yeah, quite I like quite being here. yeah. <laughs> I like being on the first officer on the Enterprise. I think I'm going to stay here. And mm-hmm. and the, the the yeah, we're with Riker for this episode. We're sort of with him on that decision. I've I worked guess. my ass grieve into the first officer's chair. I had to go to the captain's <laughs> chair. I there's that really excellent scene whereby he is talking to Shelby and she's sort of accusing him of being sort of, you know, not having that sort of zeal for or that sort of drive to become the captain. And then it cuts really quickly to him talking to Diana. And he's like, what did happen to me? I used to do all those things. I, I was that guy. The captain says Shelby reminds him of the way that I used to be. And he's right. She comes in here full of drive and ambition, impatient, taking risks. I look at her and I wonder what happened to those things in me. I like those things about me. I've lost something. Uh, I thought that was a really nice moment where he's still being quite strong to Shelby and then coming out of the dining room being like, oh, crumbs, she was right. This is awful. Why aren't I doing all the things she said I should be doing? Uh, I thought that was a really nice little moment. And it, it sort of showed it showed him that maybe he has grown a little comfortable on the Enterprise and he is enjoying his life and just being happy and perhaps he needs to push himself a little bit harder mm. Mm. and I, I like that you know shelby's really antagonistic and she's there as a a bit of a kind of a um barrier for for riker in a way but but she's but she's right she she kind of she, she kind of gets onto something and, and mm-hmm. it, it does eat away at riker mm-hmm. um and I, yeah i think that that's really good she isn't just um kind of being bullshy and and Sort of annoying him for just for the mm. just for the sake of just being for, an annoying character. Yeah. She mm. she tells just, us something about that character, and that that, that sparks a whole mm. kind of story for Riker. And she's That's a really very good. she's a very well drawn character herself. She's yes. a very yeah. Yeah. interesting character. And it's a shame mm. she never came back. I would love. They yeah. must have inve- if they thought that yeah. she was going to take mm. over the Riker position, the number one position. They must have had to invest a lot into her more than they would have into just a regular, like you know, one and done character or a one and done admiral who makes an appearance then never comes back. They they must have had to think more about her backstory, more about her attitude, because potentially they were setting her up for a a much longer run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that she's um, she's not especially likable at no. first as a character. I guess because you, you know, she she's the she's antagonising a, a character that you that you know and love. Also, she but... smirks. <laughs> oh yeah, she's she's she's, she's smug yeah, as hell. She yeah, she's, 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 she's a good yeah. She's um... yeah, she's a she's a jerk, but yeah. but she's super talented. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. That's but she's like smirks. that, and then... you know, she's like that's that kind of like that young. A go-getting like manager that's coming to the, yeah. to the and being promoted ahead of like people who've been there twenty years and that ah. Oh, but she's not. Just hate <laughs> them. But and also, she's, yeah. she's never fucks anyone over. No, she's no. Never mean to anyone. Who she it's doesn't good. have to be. No, no, yeah. not at all. Um, it's good as well to see uh, a dynamic with Riker and a woman where. Riker's not acting like a cartoon wolf. His <laughs> <laughs> kind of eyes go out and talks, and he goes, like, "Woo, woo, woo!" And then his heart starts going like that. Yeah. Like, um, but he, yeah, it's, it's it's good to see that side of Riker too. I think I think that although the dynamic between Riker and Shelby is for the most part an antagonistic one, it's very it's, it's very watchable and it's mm. it's very interesting as well. And it, both characters kind of, especially for Riker, I think it's. It gives us an insight into that character that we hadn't seen before. Mm. That's a good point because I I think Riker's often he doesn't act all that much <laughs> like a professional adult when when there's a when there's an attractive lady on screen. 
like he he's he's pretty unprofessional sometimes mm. and it, it, uh, yeah it's great to see him acting like the first officer <laughs> on the flagship for the the federation rather than like a horny 17 year old <laughs> you think when you think when Riker's playing his trombone or he's got his trombone and um and he tells a, a joke with a good like a good one line he goes like <laughs> i yes i do think that yeah he definitely does Anyway, he doesn't do that in this episode, does he? Mm. Maybe he does it alone in his quarters <laughs> to cheer himself up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the jokes too. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you can't play a trombone, Shelby. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a sadder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we sort of touched on, on, on this a little bit. Um, what are our sort of highlights of the episode? Oh for, well, for me, it's um, it's that moment at the uh, at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part One, where we get that shot. They've 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 beamed onto the Borg cube. Um, that right, uh, Picard's been taken by the Borg. They 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 don't know what's going on. They they beam over there, and they see him, and they're like, "Oh, there's Picard! Oh, Picard, come over, come over here, come come back!" And he and he he turns to camera. Oh, yeah. We we get that reveal that he's been Borgified, and they mm. it's a great shot where the, the sort of laser from his from his eyepiece hits kind of, the lens of the camera, and the music starts. And the music's really epic in this episode. Yes, it is. It is, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. The music, you're right, is creepy. One, one thing before that made me chuckle is that they put his clothes in a drawer. I know. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you never you never know when they might come in handy. <laughs> In case he wants them back eventually, sure. like yeah. it, it sort of looks like the salad drawer in the fridge as well. Yeah. That's weird. Keeping and, them cool for him. Yeah, as you, you expect to see like a lettuce next to the. <laughs> it's um, it's a bit earlier in the episode, and it's kind of the point where it, it really starts to get serious. Is where they've been kind of umming and ahhing about whether this is the Borg for a little for about the opening ten minutes. They, they're on that planet, aren't they? Looking at where the colony mm. was, deciding whether it is or not. And I think if something scooped out a massive city, I mean, it's pretty sure it's the ball. I mean, I guess you have to check, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But later on, there's a bit where a, or another a, a ship is being attacked. I think the USS yes. Lala, perhaps. Yeah. And and this is it. This is it when it's all going to get go down. And Picard is gent. He looks like he's he's very. He's almost he's frightened. Like he's mm. not not terrified, but it's very. He's very serious. Like he. They go into that ship at warp nine as fast yeah. as they can. Like yeah. it's pacing the bridge as they approach as well. They've done the intercept. And he's literally pacing around the bridge, like shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. That that's mm. the point for me where the episode really kind of kicks on and like this is the Borg. We're going to engage the Borg, and and then they do, and then yeah. oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole the immediately as soon as the episode starts, the music itself is like quite. They're straight into it, and the music's quite ominous. Mm. If, if like, quite. Sorry, Ross. sorry. There's quite a lot. It sounds like human voices almost. I thought it was mm. like sort of. There has that sort of humanistic, quite that humanistic, that huge sort of vocal quality to it. And I wasn't sure whether it was like voice recordings had been sort of mm. merged together somehow. Yeah, I, I... very effective. Mr. Wolf, dispatch a subspace message to Admiral Hanson. We have engaged. The Borg. I yeah. think maybe it is. I, I think I I read something about that on Memory Alpha. Um, I think they they bring in like yeah. a sort of a choral element. It was it was a bit. It. I think it caused some issues at the time because Ron Jones, the composer, who did the music, brought this in, and that's kind of like against the grain of what they like to do. But mm. he went for it. They. They ended up approving it, and it, it's really effective. Yeah, it works so well. I bet they just, I bet they hated it, but they didn't have any time <laughs> to, <laughs> to record because it's TV. It's like, oh, fine. He was but eventually really... fired from Next Gen, and it's a shame. It's like ridiculous because his music was amazing. Mm. The best of both worlds soundtrack album is is just incredible. It's an awesome listen. Yeah, uh, I, I love it, and it's totally worth checking out on Spotify. Yeah, okay. Mm. One of my um, one of my 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 favourite moments, I think, is um, when uh, when after they've been through uh, Wolf Three Five Nine, they catch up to the cube again, um, and Riker communi- um, 
hails and they, they has that little back and forth with Locutus and he ends up saying, take your best shot, Locutus, because we're about to intervene. And the way the music rises, he sits down, you scramble a cove, Riker one, you see the source of separation and you think, right now we're going for it. And Riker's got a plan yeah. and it's awesome. We will proceed to Earth. And if you attempt to intervene, we will destroy you. Then take your best shot, Locutus, because we are about to intervene. Channel closed. Reset. Subspace communications. Scrambler code Riker 1. Scrambler code Riker 1. Acknowledged. Shelby, report. Ready for separation. Make it so. It's almost... To, to me, it's like that That bit... Um, it's like that bit in Star Trek 2 when um, Kirk beams back from the Genesis cave to the Enterprise and you realise him and Spock have had this plan and they're about to get into it again. And there is a, it's, <laughs> it's like that. It's like, yeah. shit. Everything looked bleak, but now now the good guys are back yeah. on it. We're, we're going to get we're going to get some kids. Yeah, they had they had something all along. Yeah, they had an idea. Yeah, and it's going to work. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 I just love that moment. Um, yeah. I mean, every, most people probably know I'm a massive, massive Riker fan. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge, great two part because he just yeah. looks awesome so he, often in this. He does do some good trash talk <laughs> to the Borg with that mm. that line where he says, "We're about to intervene." Yeah. So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the battle bridge, I think, looks amazing in this. It looks so yeah. much better because mm. previously it looked like the the movie Enterprise bridge had been sort of just redressed a little bit. But they've done some nice new displays and everything. It just looked awesome. That's good. I like the yeah. battle bridge. Yeah. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's cosy. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Do you, do you have oh. a. Um, I just. I just uh, any moment when the voice of the Borg cuts in. Mm. just cuts in over everything this is the voice of the borg and it's just absolute um you mean nothing to us i'm captain jean-luc picard jean -Luc picard captain of the starship enterprise registry ncc 1701d you will lower your shields and prepare to transport yourself aboard our vessel if you do not cooperate we will destroy your ship just, you know, yeah for, uh, for that kind of race there's in the back of your neck for that kind of race yeah. that that is meant to intimidate. That's meant mm. to. It's, mm. an, it's an intimidation tactic, isn't it? So, despite them being sort of a, a gushed out consciousness, they they do that to True. frighten you. Because then. why would they bother if they didn't care about you? Mm. Why would they even speak to you? Right. Yeah. If resistance really was futile, mm. why even why even say yeah. that line <laughs> to people? Because yeah. why would you care? I think ultimately it's it's in on the off chance that people just go shit yeah okay we surrender and it just saves and roll over yeah but they do they do they did hail from uh, a humanoid species mm. so there is still that is still embedded in yeah. them yeah they're, they're, they're also they're also trying to to recruit a human to be their voice mm. so maybe they they do must, they must recognize the power of communication to an extent otherwise that wouldn't be their plan I do remember what, what, when I watched it researching for this, um, I did feel, I think sort of, I think it was the point where Picard, before he's been turned, is on the Borg ship and he talks directly to the collective and he's saying about freedom and self-determination and they, it comes back with freedom as well, self-determination. I think it's you'll be assimilated and we'd sooner die. I think death is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me, it's almost a shame about the whole Locutus thing because we lose that ominous chorus voice that they have mm. without that collective mm. voice when you have a go into a single voice I don't know if you dilute it because it's still terrifying because it's a character we love is suddenly on the, with them but it just just something so ominous about the, the yeah. collective voice so is, is that the point there is that that previous to the Borg Queen is that where they actually mess up the Borg the Borg have never been messed Borg. up they're always yeah. they're always brilliant <laughs> <laughs> even towards the end yeah. of college yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't think they I don't think they messed it up I think they have to they have to try and do something different because the Borg as an idea they're really strong but it's quite a singular idea, isn't it? If you don't develop it and change it, it would be very, could be very samey because they don't have much of a personality, as it were. Um, and I suppose they need to have some way of mm. making it a bit more interactive that the, 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 the crew can interact with and we can sort of 
we can observe as well. We can enjoy, enjoy watching it. Otherwise, it could be a bit. It is more like watching a machine just go through the motions and be menacing and creepy, but it would never change. So, I, don't, I wouldn't think they'd. I, I wouldn't say they've spoiled it, but I think it had to be developed. Otherwise, we perhaps wouldn't have enjoyed it so much. God, that's very diplomatic of me. <laughs> I, I did read um, again. I read on Memory Memory Alpha that they they did want to bring the Borg back sooner than the end of season three, but they'd struggled to come up with a story after how how awesome Q Who is. Mm. They struggled to come up with a way of bringing the Borg back because they were because the Borg was so unstoppable. Mm. Um, I had mm. how to kind of bring them back and tell a story where. A, the Enterprise can survive, and and B, it's not just a repeat of exactly what they did in, in Q Who. Um, so, and I, it feels like that's that's maybe where the sort of Locutus idea came from. And then later on in First Contact, we get the the Borg Queen, and it's. I, th- I think you're, you're right in what you're saying, Ross. It's like uh, you have to find a different approach to telling that story, mm-hmm. and you can't. You can't you can't just do Q Who like seven or eight times, <laughs> but uh, throughout the the series you need you need to be telling a different story, I guess. I, I also think, particularly in Star Trek movies, they do find it very necessary to have a singular yeah. villain, yeah, kind of thing. It has to be a hero and a particular villain. I think there's only two movies where that doesn't happen. That the mm. um, obviously the first motion picture and uh, yeah. four, mm, yeah. Where, so you can't really argue for the success of not using a single villain between those two because it's kind of either way, really, yeah. isn't it? I think that's a bit sort of Wrath of Khan syndrome. Like Wrath of Khan was so successful and it's yeah. such a, yeah. a, you know, it's the whole thing between Kirk and Khan. It's like mm. we, we need a hero and a villain in each movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's been the and see, um to varying degrees of success, I'd say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What, when you watch Q Who, one of the terrifying things about the Borg is that they're literally just this relentless force. Mm. There's no singular thing you can pinpoint to them. There's no like you can't argue them down. You mm. can't appeal to anything. But as soon as you start to put a single face on, Kirk them, could argue him. I think Kirk could argue with <laughs> well, yeah. well. him. He would. He would explain. coming out there is. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, um. John Delancey has some such amazing lines in Q Who that just that really stand mm. out. I love that episode mm. so much. It really, yeah. um, it really um, proves that the Federation aren't ready. It, yeah. It, um, yeah. And Admiral Hansen says it again in the beginning of Best of <clears throat> Both Worlds. Hell, yeah. we're not ready. The truth is, hell, we are not ready. We've known they were coming for over a year. We've thrown every resource we have into this, but still. Building building the Defiant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Ross, did you have a, a favourite moment or a standout moment from um, from Best of Both Worlds? I think for me, I was, this is going to sound, well, I, I'm obviously a Borg fan, but the, the menace of the Borg I thought was really apparent through this. And what really thrilled, what I really enjoyed watching this, because, you know, you do, in TNG, you see a lot of Riker, you see a lot of Picard, but you don't see a lot of the Borg in TNG, really. And I thought the Borg in this episode looked particularly scary, particularly had like a Hellraiser-esque feel about them, where their mouths mm, are obscured yeah. or both their eyes are obscured. They look particularly creepy. And then in the sort of the HD remaster, their shields look look great, just like frosted glass. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I really got a great thrill out of actually watching the menace of the Borg unfold across the episode because they, you know, despite Locutus being their Achilles heel in this episode and him sort of, you know, him being a doorway to, to defeating them, the Borg remained the same. They were relentless. They had that mission. They really, they really did, you know, come across as that really scary, relentless, terrifying presence. And I thought they were really effective. Um, so for me, it, it was the Borg. And that does sound a bit lazy, but I really I got a real thrill out of watching it this time and just seeing how, how creepy they were. Mm. That's a good point you make about their their shields in this mm. episode. We, we were talking about yeah. that, weren't we, Gemma? How, like, I, I know I know as we get later on into, into Voyager and in, in the movie First Contact, they sort of change the effect mm. a bit. 
I don't think it's ever as as quite as as cool as the shield effect is in Best of Both Worlds. I really, mm, really like yeah. that kind of. It feels like a solid mm. yeah. barrier that appears in front of them, and and it's I know it's kind of like it's probably a bit of a limitation of the effects at the time, but I, I don't know. It so looks good. great. Yeah. There's, one, there's one point where your your the camera's slightly behind the Borgs, and you can actually you see the reflection of the Borg yeah. in the mm. shield. It just looks so cool. It's not it's non generic. As far as an energy shield goes, and I, I find such, yeah. such an overt barrier leaping up like that mm. just really drives down the futility yes, of yes, Federation yes. weaponry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas a, a standard sort of body hugging glow fizzle thing, mm. just, I mean, yeah, just just wasn't as as didn't have that sort of like ah effect that this mm. does. So, I also yeah. quite like um, when they beam in onto the bridge before they take the card. Um, they adapt to uh, the phaser blasts, and Riker goes. They've adapted. He charges at this guy, <laughs> and Riker's a physically imposing man. He's he's, he's a big bloke, yeah. And the, the Borg just literally like tosses him aside like he's nothing, which I think was quite. Uh, again, that really sells sells the uh, the point home that you know. So what? The Borg the Borg do not care. They're just here. They're going to get what they want. You, yeah. sh- you shoot one down, another one comes up with his frosted glass shield, tossing you. 12 foot first officer to the side mm-hmm. no problem knocks the Klingon down got the got the captain one thing <laughs> about best of both worlds is why did they pick why did they want Picard as their voice because in Q Who like he I mean, I mean I guess they'll they'll scan the ship they'll know the crew and everything but he doesn't go onto the cube in Q Who and in this episode it's probably not the same cube that they met in the J J two five yeah system J two five so I'm always I'm always just a bit curious as to why uh, they chose but they him. they know about so they've obviously gained uh, the information on um, on Starfleet on on the organisation somehow so they presumably he they know he's a big figure mm. in there they they say actually when they hail you command the most powerful vessel yeah. in the fleet so I think there's possibly that element is like if, if they give you the biggest toughest ship you must be pretty important mm, yeah. uh, and there might also be like a psychological thing as well they know the effect it'll have on the enemy mm. if they take their best captain mm. and turn him like that so yeah I mean there's probably an element as well that it's it's a contrivance so, yeah so I mean yeah you're Patrick absolutely Stewart right maybe was going to yeah, leave yeah if they so. picked the captain of the Melbourne probably wouldn't have been as compelling <laughs> yeah. an episode yeah, I, yeah. I have to, an idea I had, which is completely non-canon, but I thought, well, what if, what if Q put that idea into the he book? Do that, Even but to put Q to, to carry that. on the kind of trial of humanity and to test humanity and to test Picard. Yeah, but would he do that without popping up? Good point. But I, I it's any idea, but, but I like the idea of him. Are the, are the Borg aware of Q? I can't remember. There's there's never anything that states the Borg have got any idea about Q. Um, the nearest we come is that Voyager thing where we've got in um, we've got Q's son, and he yeah. organised he, he yeah. orchestrates a Borg attack on the Voyager, and Q t- turns up and says, "Don't mess about with the Borg." Um, and yeah. you kind of wonder, well, why not? You're, you're Q. Mm. You can mess about with anybody. So. Not Guinan. Well, yeah, not Guinan. No, Guinan. No, anyway. no. escape from the Borg. <laughs> yeah. Species triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could argue that. I mean, would the Borg have even been aware of of humans if Q hadn't have thrown the Enterprise into the path of mm. that that Borg cube? So. I mean, is well, there an argument for saying actually Q, Q is kind of responsible? There are there two but, things that are not in play at this point, but later on say that yes, a they'll have assimilated the Hansons earlier than this, okay. and b yeah. that signal from the Borg in Enterprise in Regeneration. Um. Archer specifically says, "Oh, that signal will probably be picked up <laughs> yeah. in the Delta Quadrant about the time Next Generation happens." <laughs> it would take at least two hundred years. For a subspace message to reach the Delta Quadrant, assuming it's received at all. Sounds to me like we've only postponed the invasion until what? The 24th century. 
<laughs> he doesn't wink at the screen, but it's a, it's a, he may as well. I mean, I, I still love it. It's, 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 yeah. it's not as bad as when um, in Enterprise, when uh, is, it, is it Eric Sung, the Sung guy? Whoever. Oh, yeah. robots. To hell with genetics. <laughs> ooh, ooh, robotics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, time, Arch is like, one day they'll come up with a directive, <laughs> <laughs> a prime one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, yeah, they did have a habit of uh, may, maybe, may, yeah, maybe mm. assuming the audience re- really needed a point absolutely ramming home <laughs> so that they could understand it. Uh. Um, on ad, ad propos of, of uh, well, of best of both worlds, what did you guys think to um, the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, or or which, the, which is the, the greatest off-screen Star Trek? <laughs> Uh, budget-saving battle that we've seen. How, I mean, in, in in retrospect, how do you think that that plays out in in part two? Um, I don't know. I mean, I understand why they didn't show it because it would have been super expensive. But it is a bit of a jib. It is. But mm. then the the power of turning up to this mm. this massive fleet uh, battle <laughs> enterprise, if you will, um, and it just everything's gone. Yeah. They've completely it's still, yeah, you're right. It, it still works. That's I just, just powerful. Yeah, well, it would be so cool to see it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I do remember um the first time I saw Best of Both Worlds Part Two, thinking there was gonna be in a really epic space battle and then being pretty gutted that we didn't we didn't mm. get that. But actually in, in retrospect, and particularly on this rewatch, you you're right, I think it is really effective when the Enterprise shows up and you just see the wreckage. Of, of the the cube mm. having gone through there and you you have to imagine mm. um that battle and how devastating the board cube would One have been cube. Yeah. there's there's also part of me that thinks if we had seen that battle would it would it have looked all that great mm. you know and particularly by by today's standards i mean would ha- they probably would have had i mean we know in tng they really only have maybe two or three ships on screen at any one time mm. and um, all on the sort of same plane as well <laughs> yes exactly so yeah. very flat or two-dimensional battle you would have basically you would have had sort of one ship get destroyed another ship would have moved up to take that one's place <laughs> to sit motionless in front of the, the ball mm. cube and yeah i don't know maybe maybe it's maybe it's a lot more effective that we didn't see it well, even when yeah. we do get a glimpse of it in um, in the DS9 pilot emissary, it literally is the ships tend to attack one or two at a time. Mm. It's like why don't you all go in at once? But uh, they do seem to be taking turns. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, at that point in the next gen, I think also they only had um, that Excelsior model, the Reliant model, and the Stargazer model. So it wouldn't have looked a very varied fleet. No. No. I know the kit bashed a lot of wreckage, which you can do with wreckage, but if you wanted actual ships flying around, you needed sort of better quality models, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's a really, it's a cool idea. I mean, the, the mm. Wolf 359 has, has it, it, it's it's something that's kind of stuck in the in the, the memory, I think. It's iconic now, isn't it? I mean, we, we all know what it is. Yeah. And if they hadn't have built up this big battle happening... Then you're getting back to that old thing, which was very annoying in, say, the first couple of movies. Like, why is there one ship in the vicinity of Earth that can defend it? Mm. So, mm. thankfully, they could at least gather about 40 ships to stand in between them. Mm. Um, and then you have, let's say, the great psychological effect that has on the crew when they come through the, the wreckage. Yeah. <clears throat> the I ship, mean, the ship that Riker was offered command of, mm. that's been destroyed. Mm. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's the last point. one Shelby reads off the Melbourne, and everyone has a little bit of a pointed look. Is that the one that the Admiral was on? Um, it's never made clear, but I'm going to guess so. He probably was. Mel- Melbourne needed a commander, so you might as well have used right. that one. The battle is not going well. <laughs> I think he says something like that, doesn't he? Yeah. The fight does not go well, Enterprise. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking about Shelby a lot, so <laughs> that's yeah. all right. Yeah. That's right. He does have a little bit <laughs> yeah. of a creepy line he at the does. beginning, doesn't yeah. he? About... Just an old man's fantasy. Keep your eye on her, Jean-Luc. She's one very impressive young lady. You seem rather taken with her, JP. Just an old man's fantasies. That's hey, it. you know, that's, that, that's oh. the last part of a man to work. That's a, so, <laughs> you know, the older you get, the more it takes control, I think. Not the heart or the brain. 
It's the, the, the Johnson. <laughs> It's Roddenberry's vision. The Hanson. The Hanson. Is he dead? He's uh, dead. Just <laughs> from the waist down. Yeah. <laughs> um, steering back to the Melbourne, interestingly, a little trivia note, is in the wreckage, the Melbourne is a Nebula-class ship. Um, in the DS9 pilot emissary, it becomes an Excelsior-class. Oh, because the Excelsior models are more detailed, purely, purely a thing that they blow it up and they wanted a more detailed. Well, I model. think you'll find that that makes everything uh, that makes DS9 non-canon. <laughs> <laughs> so and everything from that point and all of Voyager, I guess as well. Uh, That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> everything after the cage was non-canon. You you're right. Yeah, you're right. Everything after first contact is set in a new timeline. I suppose it. Yeah, is I suppose it. it I suppose well, it kind of, of is. is in that film, they the Borg go back and that's when they go back. Well, yeah, but but presumably you, that that they wouldn't have. I don't know. The, the, the <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's get the blackboard out. <laughs> yeah. Just, just going back in time would create a new timeline. If, if I suppose. It's so complicated. But it is. wouldn't have flown the ship if they hadn't been there to 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 to, to sober him the heck up. The Vulcans wouldn't have seen it. Mm, yeah. Mm. But then Therefore. would because you get that that, then that potentially episode. though, if the Borg hadn't been shooting down at Minnesota, the ship would have been ready to go, and he would have flown up. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that, there's that episode of Enterprise where, uh, Regeneration, is it, where, mm. which I guess wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the yeah. Borg going back mm. in time in first contact. So is Enterprise technically set in a different timeline to TNG? Oh. Because uh, oh, just because no, no. When you get to arguing separate timelines for series, it's a bit like, can we go back to talking about Admiral Hansen's Hansen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mm. Uh, maybe it's best not to overthink. We can it. say we can say talking about timelines yes. for the for the um, Year of Hell episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. yeah. we haven't yeah. got the time to talk about timelines. <laughs> we don't have the time. Don't have time to talk about time. <laughs> Um, so we've kind of covered some of our main headings here. Mm. Um, what? How do we think then that this has influenced Star Trek since this two-parter? Well, I think it's. I think it's influenced Star Trek in terms of um, we've got we've had a lot more two-parters. Mm. Yes, I, I put that too. <laughs> yeah, it, it has become a bit of a trope since then, isn't it? To end to or, or it did uh, in TNG didn't they have a, quite a few two-parters to end the season? So they the ended every season. season on a two-parter from then on, I think. Yeah. And then Voyager did that. Voyager has a lot of two-parters in its, um, mm. in its run, doesn't and, it? Oh, they're not and for the first season. Well, not a lot, yeah. but two, I think. Mm. Yeah. And DS9 has a three-parter. And then it sort of has, like, nine-parters in season yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I put existential threats. It introduced existential threats to... Uh, to an existential threat to the Federation, and hmm. um, that can't be argued with, and and, and destroyed with arguing, because <laughs> <laughs> they meet because um, they meet um, Nomad, who's very powerful, and they meet the Doomsday Machine, mm. which is a super powerful machine, and that's not they don't destroy the Doomsday Machine with arguing, but um, but yeah, it's a it's a threat they haven't inc- they haven't it's a level of threat they haven't met before, and hmm. and uh, and you know. We've never seen anything quite like that, and and the Borg go on to be a, a threat in from that point onwards. They yeah. we see the Borg in, you know, what happened? What happened at Wolf three five nine? Is the it's sort of down? Is sort of the reason that that Cisco is where he is when it, it hangs over yeah, the Trek universe is. from then on, doesn't it? Yeah, we see it like that. That's why they developed the Defiant. The just the idea of the Borg. Everyone's, you know, you can say it's got this massive effect. Everyone knows about the Borg from then on. Yeah. And yeah, and you could argue as well. This is the this is the most successful villain, uh, a new villain um, species that TNG introduced. They tried it with the Ferengi. Uh, that didn't. They didn't really sell as villains, did they? Um, Certainly not the way they, the Borg do. No, and you know we have the Klingons coming in from 
from time to time in in mm. um, early TNG. But this was the first time they introduce a, a new villain that that really sticks, and and it's <coughs> you know it's it's lasted through all of of Trek really. Resistance is futile. Could be a rule of acquisition though, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, <it> could. <laughs> I think for me, one of the things that this introduces the best of both worlds is uh, another level of vulnerability in Picard, because we know he's got that sort of fat, you know, well, actually we don't find out until the next episode about his family. Um, and that the sort of vulnerability that introduces and the idea that he hasn't got his own family, but he's happy enough with, you know, his nephew and, uh, and that he has, he has the, the Picard line ongoing, but, that that he has been sort of invaded and become this other species and has had this horrible intricate connection with the Borg, that that vulnerability plays out sometimes, and certainly it's like a key factor of first contact that he already is aware of the Borg and he knows them really well, and he particularly dislikes them because of the way that he has interacted with them. So that's a it, that is ongoing as well. It's not just the Borg; it's Picard's relationship with the Borg, which is really well done. Mm. And it introduces the concept of killing off a main character as well. The captain is in th- in danger. I mean, in mm. original series, you know, Kirk goes on dangerous missions, but but I, I think this, you know, there's the genuine potential that that Picard could be killed, and and from that point onwards, I think we get episodes where the captain's perhaps in more mortal danger than we've seen before, and the, and you know, and I think in. In you know Voyager, the captain sort of does die. Maybe he comes back, but um, mm. but but yeah, I I think I think it it changes the it gives more potential to what you can do with the main characters and the captain character as well from that point onwards in terms of in terms of stories that you can have. Mm. I often wonder what it must have been like in in the US because they literally had to wait months between part one and part two. It must have been horrible. Um, we had to wait a week, and that seemed like a massively long time to me, and gave me nightmares. But they had to wait a month, and they had no idea. They literally, there was rumours about Picard, um, Patrick Stewart's contract talk stalling. They really didn't know if he was going to leave, what was going to happen. Whereas by the time we watched it, they were, you know, they were into series five. We were going to have Undiscovered Country come out in cinemas soon, so we knew, you know, we we knew Next Gen had gone on and Picard was all right. Yeah. And stuff like that. So we didn't really have that same level, and it was still a torturous week <laughs> to wait. Um, yeah. So yeah, those those poor those poor guys in the US had to live through that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I I think best of both worlds parts one and two have held up as the like the the, the sort of peak of of TNG. Mm. I mean, they're e- they're easily two of the best episodes. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, that that that's obviously kind of had an effect from from then on. I, d- I, d- I don't know if TNG ever quite hit that that high again. I don't know if they ever quite nailed an episode quite like they did. Certainly the first part. Um, mm. I think you could argue that part two doesn't doesn't quite deliver the same level of excitement as part one does. But uh, I, I think it's a good... We are about to intervene. <laughs> that is peak level excitement. Okay. Well, I stand corrected, Ram. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if TNG ever did anything quite as exciting as, as, as Best of Both Worlds again. Maybe not as exciting, but there's still some cracking work that I would rate right up there as, as amazing stuff like Chain of Command. Yeah. Or all good things, I think, is like the the point where they just say every lesson we've learned over the last seven years we're going to put into one awesome two parter to end it. Yesterday's on. Enterprise. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know that's a one parter, but story wise, mm. yeah. yeah. I wanted to mention uh, the fact that in part two he has a much bigger face mask than he did in part one. Whether whether they just thought it wasn't big enough, you know, and size matters, they're like. We want to plaster it right over his face this time. That little that little side mask, that ain't cutting it. Uh, but I enjoy, I liked it. Well, that, that that brings me to hey, the why did the 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 chest piece have to have abs on it? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Why yeah? Why do they put his uniform in the little drawer? And why do they have to have the abs on the like the you know the the the, the bit covering his his stomach? And they all have them. 
Um, the two why? very good questions. <laughs> it's like um, it's like Roman armor. It's like armor, isn't it? Like, yeah, like yeah. Roman armor. It's like Roman armor, but they, they, you know, that was for a reason. Well, maybe, maybe it's a bit more. Care. Like we were talking about before, like maybe the Borg do have like a sense of panache. And, like, <laughs> the, the, the whole thrust of the Borg is they want to assimilate everyone, and then they will all be unified under their <laughs> ideal perfection thing. To the point that they rewrite every drone's DNA to get it close to that perfection. So I guess part of that is having some well-defined abs. <laughs> also, thinking about it, a Borg cube, it is like an S and M club with no music, <laughs> isn't it? Thinking about it. Um, so yeah, you mentioned some pumping electro yeah. dance music in a Borg cube. But there's no, there's no safe word. <laughs> no, yeah, safe you know. word, the safe word is futile. No, the safe word is futile. No. Yeah, yeah, futile, futile. I'm sure if you look on YouTube, someone will put the music over the, you know, clipped all the scenes together on the ship and put the music over it. So. <laughs> We can all we can all have a look and enjoy that after we finish recording. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what what actually what do you guys think of the um, the way that they ultimately defeat that Borg cube? Um, the the whole uh, kind of sleep mm. command, um, which which weirdly so the sleep command puts all the Borg to sleep. And then, and then also makes the Borg cube explode. It's like I don't explode when I go to sleep, <laughs> unless yes. unless I've eaten something really suspicious. <laughs> I don't want to go into that. I, I suppose yeah. the, the 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 drones that should be like maintaining the engines or something, or the, you know the power core or something, aren't on. Why is they're the all asleep. Yeah. So so they're volatile. volatile. I imagine <laughs> there's normally there's... drones wouldn't be sleeping on the job. It's okay. I imagine there's one guy who, who's like on on the screen. It's like, uh, do you want the cube to explode? Yes or no? And he has to keep hitting no. <laughs> and, but then he's gone to sleep. So he's a self-destruct drone. Just, just, just <laughs> yeah. pressing no. <laughs> uh, I I thought the way that they dealt with the Borg was really intelligent, and I really liked the fact that. You know, they put all their effort at the beginning of part two into the deflector dish weapon, which was a bit of a damp squib in the end because it didn't do anything. And at the end, it was finding that sort of, you know, that way in through Locutus and through Picard. And it was putting them to sleep using a, a command subroutine rather than destroying them or, you know, defeating them with a show of force. It's just a really nice and intelligent way of dealing with an enemy that would otherwise seem relentless. They do have, a, a, they do have a little weakness, and we hadn't noticed it before. We know that every, we all knew they regenerated. They had the alcoves, but to actually put that together and be like, we'll use that as the way to defeat them. That's really, that's really intelligent. Uh, I thought that was a really clever way of dealing with it. Sleep, Data. He's exhausted. Yes, Doctor. But if I may make a supposition, I do not believe his message was intended to express fatigue but to suggest a course of action they couldn't have done any sort of way of doing it with force because i think they'd already established the borg as way too way too above that there would be no way no credible way for them to suddenly say oh actually we've just come up with this other crazy energy thing which we can do and oh the good that's worked yeah yeah you're right it, it, it... It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't have felt right to 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 have defeated them, yeah, with a show of force. It had to be something like that, mm. something kind of sneaky, yeah. and clever, yeah. and which that worked beautifully. But it's just that the easy out at the very very end that where it causes the cube to explode for some reason. That, yeah, I just think yeah, that's such I... a shame, and they could have they could have used that in a different way. Because they they discuss saving it, don't they? Should, should we preserve it so we can study it? And Riker's like, no, blow it up. <laughs> yeah. In, in fairness, I think Riker completely makes the right call because oh, yeah. we see in the future. Anytime you muck about with Borg technology, something goes horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. There was. There's no question where I, there's no point where I was thinking, oh, was that the right call? Mm. I mean, really, because you you know you've seen what a threat the Borg. Oh, it's like yeah. yeah, yes, let it self destruct. Like, this Do is to- it, uh. this stuff's totally inert. It can't possibly come back to life and hurt us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, Riker definitely made the right move there. But uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, like I say, it seems odd that it just explodes if everyone's having a nap. <laughs> but it's um, I, I like that. I mean, from what I've read, they didn't have a, a, a solution to the story when they after they'd written part one. They wrote part one 
came up with an incredible cliffhanger and then you know part two was was still to be written it wasn't like it was a story they'd they'd come up with in its entirety so so bearing that in mind i think it i think it's mm. a pretty good um a pretty good resolution actually i think michael pillar wasn't even necessary he was literally debating whether or not he was going to come back the following year mm. Riker's career storyline and that mirrored his own decisions whether he was going to stay on yeah. writing stuff or go look for new challenges so he literally just wrote up to that cliffhanger with no clue how any of it was going to be resolved yeah. so uh, I think do think they did a good job because they just wrote themselves into the most dramatic possible cliffhanger and actually if they'd sat there thinking how, trying to work out a resolution first we might not have had such a dramatic cliffhanger because yeah. they, they might have written something with an out yeah, written the caveats in already. Yeah, yeah. I think without the way they did it, it works so well. Um, I, when I was younger, one of the um, one of the first VHS video purchases I ever made was Best of Both Worlds. That had been edited together into one long movie, um, and and I have the Blu-ray now where they've done the same thing. So I'm very much used to watching it with no break. Mm. I watch the whole thing through as one story, parts one and two even though there's a slightly disconcerting moment where after Riker says fire, suddenly his hair's slightly different, Crush's hair's <laughs> completely different, and a uniform fits her differently. <laughs> we, we, this is the kind of thing that Netflix should, should be all about. We should be sending them a tweet and be like, sort this out. We want the Best of Both Worlds connected version. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. to research this, I watched it um, in two parts on Netflix yeah. for the first time in years that I've actually yeah. watched it with a to be continued oh, so, you, so you heard that incredibly long music that's like the longest I, I imagine they they had like like I don't know they were 10 seconds short like, what can we do right <laughs> we, we, need, we need to extend Just the score make it longer <laughs> yeah exactly no they still do that in the edited version oh do they <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I hope that's true. <laughs> but I mean, you, you can't beat that awesome pan round Riker's face just a, before he goes Mr. Wolf fire. That's incredible. Yeah, mm. it is. It is. Um, and I, one one nitpick I have about this is that in the HD remaster, the new explosion that they have at the end, I don't like it as much as the mm. original model effect explosion. There, there it is. I've said it. I just, I just, I just love mod, model yeah, effects. Model there it is. That's that's my one bugbear with the HD remaster. Mm. Well, there? there's nothing to stop you getting an old VHS player and watching isn't, watching an old video version. Isn't there, Rick? <laughs> isn't there? There's 25 years. That's what's in the way of that. 25 <laughs> yeah. years back to 1995. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, now you've made me feel quite old, Ross. Cheers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Damn. Ah. Um, okay, I think that probably brings us up to the end. Um, anyone, unless anyone's got any final burning points they wish to raise? I'm just really happy if, if my last point was a nitpick <laughs> about how the CG explosion in the <laughs> HDV Master isn't quite as good as the... Uh, as the model effect explosion just just feels that's the right way to, <laughs> to oh, end I feel this. quite bad that my last statement was a, just a dig at Rick's age. <laughs> the perfect ending. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ross. It's been a really good discussion. I have really enjoyed it. Uh, such a pleasure to to be on Ted Backwards. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and I, I look forward to hearing your next podcasts. Excellent. Um, did you want to just let any listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs um, and plug your awesome Snaptrek podcast? Yes, thank you. Uh, so uh, I am Taborg at strtrk1701 on Twitter, or you can find Snaptrek podcast, the Star Trek game show podcast, or we compare two episodes of Star Trek uh, at Snaptrek on Twitter. Right. Well, thank you very much for everyone for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed this, and we shall be back again uh, with another episode. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. 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 <laughs>
Bye. Do you realize how incredible this is? It's tradition. You ever noticed that bum? What? That bum. Oh no! I will say. I will say. Fewer things. Fewer things. Okay. Enough of this self-indulgence. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, our website is www.loweredexradio.co.uk. You can reach us on the Twitters at at 10backward, 10 being the number and backward being the word backward. We're also on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 10backward podcast. You can also email us at crew at loweredexradio.co.uk. On a personal, individual level, my Twitter is at Will Turland. Rick Everson's Twitter is at TrekFanRick. And Rick Palmer's Twitter is at Mr. Imhotep. Hi, thank you again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you might consider supporting us. We have now have a Patreon uh, where people can uh, pledge small amounts to fund our ongoing projects like uh, keeping our website up to date, uh, um, new audio equipment as we're going along and potentially uh, opportunities to expand our content. Uh, you can go look at this at patreon.com forward slash loweredexradio. Uh, if you don't feel you can donate but would still like to support us, we would love it if you could subscribe to us or however get your podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or we're on various third party apps and if you could leave us a review on any of those that would be fantastic and would be very appreciative. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in for more podcasts from the 10 Back Crew. Laddie, don't you think you should rephrase that? 10 Backward. 10 Backward. Mr. Worf. Fire.